0: sanctified us by his commandments and has commanded us to be a light to the nations and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now the Kiddush, blessing over the cup. Baruch Eloheinu melech Borei Amen Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. And now the blessing over the bread. (laughs) Chamotzi lechem min We give thanks to God for bread Our voices rise in song together As our joyful prayer is said (laughs) <laughs> Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, king of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen, Amen. All of that
1: <laughs> All right. Now husbands, if you will bless your wives, the Heavenly Father. I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful wife that you've given me. And Father, we thank you and we pour out a blessing upon all the wives on this Sabbath day. I pray that you bless her, strengthen her, and encourage her as she rises in the night to see about the ways of the household. And I pray that you strengthen her as she teaches and educates our children. Father, I pray that you pour out your very best blessing upon her and that you would encourage her in everything that she does. Let her know how worthy of praise and honor that she is. And, Father, I confess with all of my heart that I love her, and I thank you, Lord, for her. We also bless all of the widows and orphans, those without a father or a husband at this time as well. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. 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 All right, now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. 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 Let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Amen.
2: Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom. Please join us for the Baruch, the call to worship. Baruch et Aronai
3: Hamvorach. Baruch Aronai Hamvorach Leolam
2: Vaed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Micha Mocha. Micha Adonai.
3: Nedarbakodesh. No O O There is none else You are awesome in praise Doing wonders, O Lord Who is like
2: you, O Lord Amen And now the blessing of Messiah Baruchata ta'aranai Eloheinu melech ha'olam Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Vishamru Vishamru vene Yisrael et Hashabat. La asot et Hashabat la Doratam berit olam. Bene oveyan, bene Yisrael, otile olam. Kesheshet yamin asa aronai et Hashemayim va et haralets. Uveyom Hashvi ishvat. Altogether, Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema. If you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael,
3: Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kevod Melchuto Leolam Vae. Yeshua
2: HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be his name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, he is Lord. Amen. way ve'ahavta, ve'ahavta et Aronai Elochecha, ve'chol levavcha, u'v'chol navshecha, u'v'chol meyodecha. Ve'hayu, v'hayu, Ha devarim ha alecha anochi mitzavcha hayom ala vavcha ve shinantam levanacha ve debartam ve shivtacha be beitcha u leot ayadecha va hayul totafot benanecha uktaftam amezozot betcha u vishorecha altogether and you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen. You are now
4: with the melody you surround me with a song of deliverance.
5: Shalom, everyone, and welcome to our Erev Shabbat broadcast here at B'nai Shalom. Uh, This week, our Torah portion comes from Deuteronomy uh, 16, the last part. It's the Torah portion we call Shoftim. Shoftim means uh, judges. And if you look there in Deuteronomy uh, 16, where it begins... Um, it begins at verse 18 where it says you shall appoint for yourself judges and officers in all your towns with the the lord your god is giving you according to your tribes they shall judge the people with a righteous justice you shall not distort justice you shall be partial you shall not take a bride um, and for a bride blinds the eyes of the wise perverse the eyes of that verse 20 the key verse justice and uh, And my Bible says, and only justice you shall pursue. I don't like the phrase, and only. In the Hebrew, it simply says, justice, justice you shall pursue. And this is one of the key interpretational points of when you learn to study the Torah. The Torah will occasionally, the way Moses would write, he will occasionally repeat a certain word or a certain phrase. And be, most translators and most interpreters of the Bible, especially from the Western nations, uh, using Western logic, think that when something gets repeated, it means it's to the superlative. In other words, they think justice and only justice. In other words, you're making the first justice greater. You know, there's, there's a neologic logic to that. If it's justice, how can it be more justice? I mean, it is justice. And so what's it mean when it says justice, justice you shall pursue? The Hebrew way of viewing is not that it's indicating the superlative, rather there is a different principle involved. And in this particular case, we believe it's justice you should pursue, but you must do it in a just way. And that's what in the legal system we refer to as due process. If uh, the accused comes in and we're going to seek justice with regard to what that person has done, the state, we have to do it in a just way. Uh, We cannot just assume that he's guilty. We have to prove it. And in the course of proving it, And in the course of matting out the proper punishment, this is what we refer to as the due process. And the primary skill of a lawyer is uh, not in understanding what justice is, but in carrying out due process, representing the client correctly, the judge doing his job correctly, the prosecutor doing his job correctly. It's all due process. And so what the scripture is talking about here is if you're going to pursue justice with judges and officers and so forth, it must be done in a just way. And this is the Torah principle that is the basis of the legal system that we use. But Bible translators (laughs) set that all aside, trying to understand the subject, and just think it means the superlative. Um, The... um, uh, there's several examples in the Torah where this happens and this interpretational uh, technique is used. One of them is in the Akita, the binding of Isaac, where it says the two of them walked on together. The first time that said, um, Abraham and Isaac are walking, and then that's when Isaac says, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, we don't have the sacrifice. We've got the fire, we've got the knife, we've got the wood, we don't have the sacrifice. And that's when Abraham makes the statement that God will provide the lamb for himself in that place. And then it says, and the two of them walked on together. In other words, it repeats that phrase. It's not just being redundant. It's not just saying what it said before. There's something new that is being explained. The second time, it's now Isaac is understanding what is going, what he is going to be a part of. Isaac is now understanding he's going to be going there, and it's he who's going to be the sacrifice. And it goes back to why? Why would we have that? Well, it goes back to understanding the mentality and the thought which the New Testament expresses uh, greatly, with regard to how was the Messiah feeling after he ate the Passover Seder dinner? He's there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's not been arrested yet. He's praying and he knows what's getting ready to happen. He knows that he's going to be arrested, he's going to be tried, and he's going to be crucified. And, and you, you know there's this dynamic of his thinking. He knows what's getting ready to happen. Well, the same thing happened to Isaac. He knew that when they got to their destination that he was the one who was going to be sacrificed. And if you recall... Uh, Abraham did bind him, did lay him on the altar uh, before the Lord uh, stopped him from uh, sacrificing Isaac. There's very powerful moments in there. Now, uh, the rest of this Torah portion um, goes through and talks about four particular positions uh, in which that, that we have, as far as leadership structure within the faith, The first is a judge, and the reality is is that in Judaism, the rabbis say they are the shoftim. They are the judges of Israel, and they've been appointed by the people, as the Scripture says, and they render judgments concerning conflicts, counsel, and so forth. And today, the closest thing that we have to that is eldership within a congregation, pastorship. You know, within a congregation, you have a person who serves in the function of kind of a judge, uh, an overseer, if you will, with regard to carrying out just things, to do just things. Well, going back to the principle of due process, usually when leadership within the congregation and leadership uh, within the Christian faith fails... It's because they didn't follow due process. The um, uh, person that was in authority accepted a bribe. He sought his personal self-will, his personal interest. If you go back and look at the qualifications that Paul tells us all about um, elders and deacons, if you look at that qualification list, every one of those things has to do with Um, avoiding certain biases that would affect their ability to make good judgments. It's the exact same criteria for judges that is here in the Torah. You have to be qualified to be a judge uh, for you to be in the position of eldership or deacon or pastor of a congregation. They're appointed by the people. The people uh, give their authority to them for them to be able to do it. That's how their structure is set up, but then there's three other positions of leadership within all of Israel. The second one is to the king, and as you all know, uh, the Messiah is the king of Israel. The king is appointed by God. The people don't proclaim the king. The people accept the will of God that that is the king. And it's not to be challenged because if you challenge the king, you're actually challenging God uh, directly for it. Uh, this, the um, third position is the priest. Now, the priest has to come by way of birth, physical birth. It has to be a son of Aaron, you know, for them to be a Levitical priest. Um And you don't decide, well, I get up one day, you know, I I think I'd like to become a priest of Israel. So I'll go join, go to preschool, and we'll do that. No, it doesn't work that way. You have to physically be born uh, of the descendancy of Aaron. The third, or the final one, is a prophet. Now this is the one that gets kind of interesting. Because like a king, a prophet is dispatched by God. God tells a prophet to go and to do something. Uh, When a prophet has not been told by God, but somebody has risen up and they want to be in the position of a prophet, then they are regarded as a false prophet. A true prophet is the one that's sent by God. A false prophet is one who came of their own presumption, who who decided to rise up amongst the people on their own. And... Uh interestingly enough, Paul teaches this very emphatically in 1 Corinthians 14, I believe, that prophets are subject to prophets. Uh, the people think, well, they can decide who's going to be a prophet and who's not. No, no, no. It's the prophets who decide who is a prophet. And prophets can take another prophet to task and hold him accountable uh, for it. Uh, and you know the prophecy says that in the last days in the days that we're living that there's going to be many many false prophets and i believe that what the what the messiah was referring to is there's going to be a lot of people weighing in on the the hot subjects of the end of the age all the different signs that are going on and people are going to jump up and want to share with other people their point of view their perception uh, and then try to offer uh, their insight into what's going on. They they want to speak basically to the future things that they see and they're anticipating. However, uh, when you get into that subject of prophecy and dealing with prophecy, let me just do a little sidebar thing here. Let me just tell you right off the bat, you really don't want to be a prophet. You really don't. If you look at the history of prophets that God has sent, they usually get killed. They're usually hated by the people. And by the way, they don't come and, and give nice, happy, sweet, oh, loving messages. They usually come with bad news. Stuff like, if you don't get that turned around, you know, you're going to be judged by God. You know, that kind of stuff. And nobody wants to hear that stuff. And that's the reason why a true prophet, when he shows up and he starts speaking to God's people, God's people have a tendency to reject, don't want to hear that, don't want to be a part of it, doom and gloom, all that other business. However, if you disregard what a prophet is saying, who's been dispatched by God, you do so at your own peril. If you don't take the warning into account, then you'll suffer the consequences and you have no excuse for when you suffer the consequences for it. You can't go back to God and say, hey, you weren't very fair with me. You didn't warn me. You didn't tell me. Yeah, he did. He sent a prophet, but you didn't want to listen to it, so you rejected it and so forth. The classic uh, watchman example that's given by the prophet of Ezekiel, uh, the watchman is obligated to sound the warning when he sees something to the people. If the people reject the word of the watchman, the prophet of something coming, then the blood is on them if harm comes. And the reverse of that is if the prophet, the watchman, fails to do his job and others are harmed, then the blood is on him for it. And prophets don't decide, okay, I'm going to become a prophet. They usually are compelled by God. They get called uh, by God. They get anointed to do the task uh, for it. So they have the authority of the anointing of God. That it's not a positional authority. They actually have authority by the anointing of God to do what they do. And the the prophet can't make you do anything, all you can do is come and say that which the Lord has said. One of the better descriptions of this office of being a prophet would be what I would refer to as a forth teller, Fourth teller. Um, In fact, when you teach the, the Torah and you teach the commandments and you call people to obey the commandments of the Lord and you're forth telling what the Lord has said, you're actually doing the work of a prophet actually doing and, and you're uh, affecting the community from that leadership uh, standpoint uh, from it. So our Torah, that's what our Torah portion is covering in team. But what is being addressed for us in the Haftor that goes with this portion? Well I'm going to take you to Isaiah chapter 51. This is the fourth of seven Haftor portions. Which we call the Hoftors of Consolation. As I've shared with you in the previous weeks, uh, there is this incredible ancient sermon that is taught during this time of the year when we teach the Tours. that tells the story about Israel being in this dilemma, about Israel is not comforted, Israel is. They think they've been rejected of God. They're actually scattered in the nations. So by the way, that's us right now. That the trauma on Israel, Israel is not safe and secure. And the question is, what in the world is going to happen? Where is God? What's he going to do? And it is an expression of these seven particular teachings of confronting that, explaining how Israel feels they've been forsaken, about how... Um, they feel that they're in the midst of trauma, and in fact, they're called afflicted and storm-tossed. But then, and this portion in particular comes through with this, God steps up to them and then says to Israel, I am going to be the one who comforts you. You know, the mess, original message was, comfort, oh, comfort my people Israel. They explain what the problem is. Now God says, I will comfort uh, the people. Look with me to Isaiah 51 and verse 12. It says, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you're afraid of man who dies and of the son of man who's made like grass? Uh, Let me stop there. That's a wonderful example. Did you know that Hitler's dead? I mean, he's dead. Um, Genghis Khan he's dead Mussolini he he's dead um, all of the t- Pharaoh he's dead all of the tyrants that have ever list lived in the world against Israel they're uh, in past they're all dead they all died they're they're mortals like us and they only were there for a short time until their mortality kicked in and they're dead And today, those that would come against us, those that would be opposed to us as God's people, I have news for them. They're going to die. They're not going to live forever and continue to do this. They all will die. And so one of the things that God is saying here right off the back to Israel, I, even I, who comforts you, who are you that you're afraid of man who dies? And one of the things about dealing with trauma and difficulties, troubles, tribulations, and so forth, and particularly, this is a great message for we who live in the days that we live. You know, the trauma that's going on in the world, all of the negative things that we hear, the things that are challenging us personally with inflation, concerns about what's going to happen what's going to happen to our country what's happening around the world the viciousness of people you know the violence that's going on you know we, these are all things to be concerned about one of the things that god says to us and it's very emphatically stated here if you're looking for comfort then look to me me god you're not going to get comforted by men And you're not gonna get comforted by changing some of the things that men are doing. You gotta understand, all of those men out there, all that trouble, they're all gonna die. They're not gonna remain, they're not gonna prevail. And then I like this one in particular where he says, um, and of the son of man who's made like grass. At my home, I'll share a little thing here. At my home, I have this beautiful Bermuda grass. I live on a corner lot, and it wraps around the house, and I really love my yard. And I pay for a gardener who comes and mows it on a regular basis and so forth. And um, I got an automatic sprinkler system. You know, it sprinkles it so it grows good. I pay for the fertilizer. They come in, they fertilize the grass. My grass looks just as nice as anybody else's grass in my neighborhood. Until last week. And last week, we had um, some serious, well, this summer, we've been having a serious heat wave. Triple-digit weather and so forth. You know what? The grass just flat stopped growing. It's not growing. The mower showed up, and they said, there's nothing to mow. You know, my gardener showed up, and I said, there's nothing to, there's nothing to trim, nothing's growing. And the reason is because despite my best efforts to water it, fertilize it, take care of it, and so forth, it, it, it's not growing anymore. Why? Because grass is somewhat fragile, fragile and, and, and subject to the environment. So are men. Mankind, whether you realize it or not, we are subject to this earth that we're on. And this is a fragile balance here for us. Just listen to us when it, when it's really cold in the winter, what do we do? We complain about how cold it is. When it's really hot in the summer, what do we talk about? We talk, complain about how hot it is. We are so subject to all those things. It affects us in you know, a fort. And God is basically saying mankind as compared to the Lord, you guys are like grass the whole the whole lot of you well there's a lot of grass out yeah but you know about grass grass sometimes doesn't do well and by the way as we approach winter my grass that beautiful yard i've got the sprinkler system is going to get turned off the fertilizer is going to stop the mower will not be coming because the grass will be dead the only thing that will be left is the roots down on the ground, and we pray that they survive and do okay during the winter so they can come back next year, but the grass will be gone. Um, there is a great verse in Isaiah 40 uh, where it says the, the glory of a man is like the flower uh, or the blossom of a plant, and the rest of men are like grass of the field. Uh, the flower goes away and the grass dies, withers And that's what mankind is like as compared to God. But the word of God and what God says and does remains. And so when he's saying here, it is I who's going to comfort you, regardless of what you see going on with men around you, God will continue to comfort. Let me go a little bit further with this. Verse 13, that you have forgotten the Lord, your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. That you fear continually all day long because of the fury of the oppressor as he makes ready to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? The exile will soon be set free and will not die in the dungeon, nor will his bread be lacking. For I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea and the waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I've put my words in your mouth and have covered you with the shadow of my hand to establish the heavens, to, to, to found the earth, and to say to Zion, you are my people. You know, you ought to mark these words. And at the start of the great tribulation, you need to read these words. This is the Lord addressing our greatest fears. This is the Lord dealing with us. When we feel that we're being overwhelmed by fear and concern and we see things happening and we're not sure what's happening and we think that someone is an enemy and is oppressing us or pursuing us. By the way, in the great tribulation, it will be all of those things. We will be oppressed. There will be people threatening us. Things will not be going well. Life as we understand it now will be gone What are we going to do? How can we survive it? How will we make it? How, in particular, how do I deal with all these negative feelings? Well, God says, I want you to go back and I want you to listen to me. Um, Look up in the sky. Who put that up there? Who put the heavens up there? Who, uh, Who made the earth? Who made you? Uh, those trees, those plants, those, those things, the mountains. Who made all that? Well, God did. So the only question is, does God know you? Because if God knows you, he's going to take care of you just as well as he takes care of all these other things that are out here, including all the birds of the air. And he says, we're far above those things. All of those things were created for our benefit for us to live and dwell here. We're the priority with God, so he's going to take care of us. Now, do we believe it or not? Are we listening to what he has said or not? I have no doubt in my mind that early in the process of when the great tribulation begins, in other words, when the prophecy of Daniel the abomination of desolation, when the altar is set up and then shut down and we suddenly realize, hey, this is the start of the Great Tribulation. We're not getting raptured out. Um, We're going to have to escape. Otherwise, bad things are coming. And in the midst of all of that, people are going to be afraid. People who, quote, believe in God. People who are part of our fellowship, of our brethren, people who've been listening to some of my teaching, they're going to be afraid. Well, it's okay to be afraid, but it's not okay to sin. And you would sin is if you don't trust the Lord. The reason why we have the fear is to get us to drive us back to the Lord. I mean, if there was nothing to be afraid of, why would you need to trust the Lord? But because of these circumstances that we'll be facing, we're called upon to trust. That's what these Hof Tours of Consolation are about. We're at the middle point. Let me, let me tell you, I'm going to give you a foretaste of the next three weeks in the Hof Tours. Let me tell you what it, it says. It's going to say, Isaiah 54, it's going to say that you should sing and that you should dance and fear not. That's what next week's portion is going to say. The one after that, it says, Arise and shine, for the glory of the Lord is upon you. The world will be in darkness, but you'll have light. And the final one says, I will rejoice as a bride, because the, Lord's, the, the bridegroom is coming, and we're adorning ourselves as a bride. We're, we're, we're getting ready to go to the kingdom. So from this point forward, It goes forward with very positive messages, but it's all based on the belief when God says, I will comfort you, then you believe it. If you don't believe that God will comfort you, you're not going to continue down this path. You'll continue to be afraid. You'll continue to... uh, and, And because if you're staring at all of the things that are bad, guess what bad things happen to you? You won't see the escape. You won't see the good things the Lord has. This message... These hoftors of consolation. This sermon has been preached for year after year after year, and it's being preached again this year to Israel. I mean, it's like this training program as we're completing the Torah that gets us ready for the fall holidays for Yom Tura, for uh, Yom, Yom Kippur, the day of the Lord, and for Tabernacles. And it's preparing us for the end of the age. And it's dealing with one of the things that's going to be the most compelling thing to the believers as we come to the end of the age, and that is the fear. The fear. If you remember in the ancient story of the children of Israel leaving Egypt, leaving Egypt was, was great. It was a little bit fearful, but it was good. And then, when they get ready to go in the land, guess what they did? For the reason of fear, they balked and they refused to go into the land. The spies came back, gave a bad report, they refused to go. We are told that we're supposed to learn a very important lesson from that. When it's time to go to the promised land, do not be afraid. When we get to the end of the ages and God is getting ready to carry out his great plan of redemption, the final redemption, don't be afraid. Just stand by and see what the Lord does. Just believe and trust the Lord. He he will do this. It's like all this preparation, all this teaching has been given to us to prepare us to accomplish this successfully. That's what the Offdoors of Consolation are all about. So, Next week we'll see another portion of this, and we'll be finishing out our Hof Tours of Consolation this season. Shabbat shalom to all of you.
1: Shalom. If you would please now turn in your Bibles to the Book of Matthew to Chapter Seven. Hold your finger at verse one, where our Brit Hatorah portion will begin for this week. And as always, as you turn to the Scripture, let us turn this time over to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for this time. Once again, that we can dig into Your Word and Your instruction. Father, I pray that we are blessed, strengthened, and encouraged by Your Word this week. And Father, I pray that You would just pour out Your Spirit, continue to lead us and guide us with that Spirit, Lord. Give us Your thoughts, Your mind, Your emotion, and strengthen us and refresh us on this Sabbath day. We thank You for all of these blessings. It's in Your Son, Yeshua, that we pray. Amen. Our tour portion this week is entitled Shoftim, which means Judges, and it is when the commandment is given to Moses, uh, and it's being recounted for us in the book of Deuteronomy, to instruct the children of Israel to appoint judges amongst themselves, to judge accordingly with and um, amongst the people. Um, we're going to start here in Matthew chapter 7, which we talked about last week in the portion of Re'eh, where it's all about what we see and what we observe. And we are here in Matthew chapter 7 talking specifically about um, what we would see with our eyes, like that we would see uh, a speck in our brother's eye, yet ignoring the plank that is in our eye. I want to read this passage again, and then we will tie that directly into the introduction to our tour portion and our instruction for this week. Matthew chapter seven and verse one says this: Judge not that you be uh, uh, that you be not judged. For with that what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it, uh, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, "Let me remove the speck first from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye"? Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This all has to do with, again, what we might see and observe in our brother as far as whether there is a behavior or an issue that is among them, and that we would then judge amongst ourselves. And one of the things we want to make sure that we always uh, are, are mindful of is that we judge with equal weights and measures, that we judge accordingly, and what is righteous according to the law, according to the Lord... And perhaps maybe not what we necessarily see with our own eyes. We talked about this, of course, back in Re, talking about what we see. But in our passage for this uh, week, we are talking specifically about establishing judges, officers that would be in the gates among the children of Israel that would give righteous judgment. In the Scripture, justice, justice you shall pursue is what it says. And it's not just that we need to pursue justice in one way, but we also need to do it in a just or a righteous way. The Hebrew word zedek can be translated as righteousness or justice. It's sometimes interchangeably used. And what it really means is we need righteous judgment. Not only do we need judgment to punish the guilty, but we need judgment that protects the innocent. If all we wanted to do was arrest and punish the guilty, very easy fix. All we got to do is punish and arrest everyone, and I guarantee you the guilty will be punished. However, that would not be just, that would not be righteous, because, of course, the innocent also would be paying the price for the judgment. There is a second justice that must be fulfilled, and that is justice for the innocent and to protect them. That's all what the entire, uh, this entire uh, passage in the first part of our Torah portion here in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 16 is all about. And one of the things that we need to learn to do is we need to make sure that we are judging amongst ourselves. See, we can look at the Lord and say, he's the righteous judge. And in fact, if anybody is ever trying to uh, say anything against you and say, well, you're not following this commandment correctly, or you're not walking according to scripture, you can easily say, and some brethren that you may have met along the way, I know I've met a few, that will say, the Lord is my judge and you are not to judge over me or rule over me. And they just want to be submitted to the Lord in his judgment. The thing is, is the commandment here that is given through Moses to the children of Israel is to judge amongst yourselves, to establish uh, lines, officers uh, of authority that would help to correct the behavior of people among you. There are judges that are supposed to be in the cities, at the gates, that are there to make a righteous judgment. To, to give favor to one party or another when there is an issue amongst that, that needs to be corrected, needs to be fixed. And these people have to carry themselves accordingly. They have to be uh, righteous in their understanding of the law. They need to also be well-respected in the community. And the commandment is being given, of course, to establish these judges. There's another passage that comes from uh, John chapter 7 that was talking about the Messiah speaking and talking about how that there were those that were trying to judge Him, that were trying to judge Him about that uh, He was doing good and healing somebody on the Sabbath. And the Messiah says in John chapter 7 at verse 21, He said, I did one work, and you all marvel. Moses uh, therefore gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath, And if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Verse 24 of John chapter 7 says this, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. We need somebody that can see and determine what is right. Because you could look at the thing and say, All right, we're not supposed to do any work on Sabbath. Yet we do have the commandment to circumcise our sons on the eighth day. And the, in, as it was understood in the process, even if the eighth day was on a Sabbath, that circumcision was could be take place on a Sabbath. So you would do that work on the Sabbath to keep that commandment. So what's the righteous uh, de- decision here? Should we not circumcise on the Sabbath? Or we should keep the commandment to circumcise our sons on the eighth day? What is understood here and what is implied by the Messiah in the first century is that it was understood that, yeah, they would do circumcisions on the Sabbath so that it would comply with the eighth-day commandment. So what in the world is there is no law against doing well for someone whatsoever. So you would make somebody, that you would heal somebody, help somebody on the Sabbath. Stories throughout ancient Israel understood they had to be, if they were at war with somebody, they could not uh, just decide to not fight on the Sabbath because their enemies would attack them on the Sabbath. So there's already stipulations by which the keeping of the Sabbath is suspended, for lack of a better term, in the case of in the event that some other greater righteous work must be fulfilled. And so what's obviously doing good on the Sabbath, healing somebody, fulfilling the law of circumcision, or the law or the the understanding to protect the nation against war and intruders on the Sabbath as well. And that these are things that we have to follow. So we need a judge to determine, you know what, you're right. That is what is righteous, And even if it falls on the Sabbath, we must fulfill that, and that is something good to do, even if it's the Sabbath. If we just look at the appearance of things, we might make a mistake. Since our eyes can be deceiving, and our eyes can go following after other doctrines and do the wrong thing, we have to find righteous judgment. So again, back to that idea and that concept of that somebody, that person that might say, you know what, the Lord is my judge in these things, and I answer to the Lord. Now, and I'm, not going to be, I'm not going to submit myself amongst them and the other brethren or submit myself to some judge that, is, uh, that, that, that is, might be appointed among the people or something like that. And there's this self-righteousness that somebody might have to say they only want to submit to the Lord. Well, it's very interesting if you go to uh, Hebrews chapter 10 here in our New Testament. And one of my favorite verses, perhaps my favorite verse from the book of Hebrews, that comes to us from uh, Hebrews chapter 10 at verse 28, where it says this. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Verse 29, of how much worse punishment do you suppose will uh, will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God." Hmm. Okay, so if we're talking about rejecting the law of Moses, it is from the law of Moses that it says appoint righteous judges among the people. Appoint people who will uh, will help the brethren to decide in certain matters. Now, if you set aside that idea and that concept and say, I don't want to submit to any judges or some sort of rule of law that might come from the gates of the city... Instead, I want to be, I want just the grace of the Lord. I have the grace of the Lord. Well, this, the writer of Hebrews is talking very specifically here about that you might count the blood of the covenant as just this common thing that it's all like, well, this is what I have and I don't need any of those other things. See, the rule of law actually is a common thing. This is something where we work amongst ourselves. We judge among the people. And this is how something should be established in society and in a good working rule of order. It's the grace of God that is needed for that special circumstance that you might need where you are crying out to the Lord spiritually and needing His grace to cover a multitude of of sins and things that, that, that you can't overcome. That is what would be better is if we allowed the judges to do and take care of the common things and not just call upon the grace of the Lord for everything that we might possibly want to to, uh, submit to the Lord on or any sin that we've ever committed because we don't want to be uh, found accountable to judges. See, that is one way I would interpret the idea of making the spirit of grace and, and the blood of the covenant to be a common thing. See, the law of Moses is this great, beautiful thing that was given to us that would allow us to live and walk uprightly before the Lord so that we might be holy as the Lord is holy, so that we might be holy and good, and goodness will prevail amongst the brethren and the society, and we have good neighbors, and we know how to treat each other right and appropriately, and we know how to love our neighbor, and we know how to uh, exchange uh, oxen that we, it's like appropriate and rightly so everybody can be, um, can stay safe, stay healthy. And the society can work and be peaceable among all the brethren. If we're just sitting here and saying, no, I have the grace of the Lord, and I can treat you however you want, and you can't judge me, and I can do whatever I want here and there, and the Lord is my judge, excuse me, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the Lord. Do you want the Lord to judge you on all things? Or would it be better if you had brethren among you who can help you to steer you in the right direction? Look, you could disagree with them all you want, But you certainly should hear them out. You certainly should have a soft heart to listen to the judges who might be among you, the fellow elders, the brethren, other professed believers who follow Torah and commandments, to actually submit to them and listen to their words, their counsel, so that there might be a correction made in your heart and in your mind and in your walk and in your beliefs and works before you come to judgment from the living God. Because God will judge his people. He says, vengeance is mine. And if you've done something wrong that needs to be repaid, the Lord will come and the Lord will collect. And that would be a fearful thing for you. The counsel should be that we should govern ourselves, that we would judge and make that correction in our heart. And it's like, and that's ultimately what it is, is the responsibility falls upon us as all believers to walk uprightly before the Lord in the right and appropriate way. And that we could actually judge and self-correct our behavior because we have two eyes. We can read the word and we have a heart and a mind and a spirit and God and it can give us the power and the spirit of a sound mind and sound judgment to understand, you know what, I acted that way and I shouldn't have acted that way. I, I actually owe somebody an apology. I actually should do. And you know what, I shouldn't just give an apology because I'm hoping to be forgiven. No, I should give an apology because it's what's right. That's why I should apologize for something. And you know what? And I have this opportunity and I have a sound mind and a good spirit and I've been a follower of God for this period of time and I can self-correct myself without somebody having to tell me to do it. I could unless I'm grown bitter or too stubborn to do so. Well, the Lord actually understands the human nature of things. So, the Lord might actually establish some of these other layers and levels that might help us to govern ourselves. Turn with me now to 1 Corinthians, <clears throat> to chapter 5, where, we're, where the Apostle Paul is teaching us about fixing what might be among us like actually working to to solve the issues that when we have issues and disputes and certain kinds of brethren amongst us that we have a problem, we're being actually exhorted by the Apostle Paul to fix these things, to, to, to remove from us the issues that are among us. Before we get to final judgment, before we get to a situation where more sin can abound, we need to judge amongst ourselves. Verse 9, he's being very direct here, where he says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of the world or with the covetous or the extortioners or the idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out into the world, but now I have written to you to to not keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner. Not even to eat with such a person. For what I do, what I, for have I to do with judging those also who are on the outside, do you not judge those who are on the inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Okay, if you want God to be your judge, I'm going to, you know what? God is my judge in this matter, and I'm not going to listen to anybody else. Okay, you have just isolated yourself to be someone who is on the outside of the household of faith that God judges because that's who God judges, those that are on the outside. What we're being commissioned for us is to make decisions and therefore put away from among you the evil person. Judge amongst yourselves so that you don't be caught up in the judgment that comes upon the world. Later on in the book of 1 Corinthians, we need to go to chapter 11. And here in this passage, listen to this. Again, the Apostle Paul speaking. 1 Corinthians 11, let's begin at verse 27. It says this. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. This is speaking about the uh, taking of the Lord's cup and the Lord's bread during the Passover when the Lord established it during the Last Supper. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and the drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged." But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. Man, this is, this is speaking to the fact that, okay, we, certain things that we should not eat in an unworthy manner, partake of the sacrifice, the Passover, um, the drinking of the cup, then the piece of bread that represents the body of Messiah, and that before we do any of those things, speaking to the Lord and what He has done and what He has taught us, that we should do some self-examination. We can make the decision. We can self-correct our own behavior and our own issues to examine in ourselves. let's not do this in an unworthy manner. Let's make sure that we are, we are careful in our behavior with one another in the things that we do. And if we, like it said right there in verse 31, for if we judge ourselves, we will not be judged. That means if we can correct ourselves amongst the brethren, either by the power of the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in our own mind, to fix our own behavior, to cause us to act in, another, in a way that is now worthy of honor and in a righteous way, and to fix and rectify situations oh, that we have amongst the brethren, dealing with one another. If we can self-correct those things, well, then we won't be judged with the rest of the world. We won't be required of the, of the Lord to judge us. Because we've corrected their behavior. We've repented of our sins. We have fixed the issues, the problems. We have given the apologies that need to be given to, to whoever we wronged. Whether we're forgiven by them or not, that's, I guess, on th- that's on them. But then we must go through the process of self-governing ourselves and correcting ourselves so that the judgment does not befall us. So that we don't get caught up in the same judgment that will befall the world. If we can correct our own behavior. And then therefore, right there at the very end, when you come together to, to eat for, for one another, if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. Like that, we, they, I, I think the warning that's going on here is that if you join together and it's like, we're going to still join together with the brethren and we're going to enjoy and be this way. But if you're going to ignore the person who's in need at that time and you're just going then it's like, then it would be better that you, you're going to be judged for that. You're going to be judged for, not, for, for eating at the feast of the Lord, but not correcting your behavior. And it says it would be better if you were at home, not amongst the brethren, if you're going to ignore the need that is among you, those that might be hungry, those that are in need. These are the things that we have to learn to do to judge amongst ourselves. That's what the commandments of, of Moses is to, is to give to us. A lot of people take the Torah unfortunately, very much out of context to where that we somehow, because we can, we can read the Torah and these commandments, that somehow I can create my own tiny little society of self and it could just be me and the Lord and we can make this work. The problem is, is from the very beginning, early on in scripture, it says man is not meant to be alone. It is meant that we are to congregate with one another, that we if we we're going to keep the festivals and the holidays that we would uh, have a holy convocation with our fellow brethren. That we would join together because we can lift each other up and do more if we are together and working toward a common goal. That's what we as believers should do. And that's when, but you know what there's a lot of us sometimes not all of us do the right thing. Some of us act inappropriately at times, and we sin. So you know what? We do need to appoint these, these judges and those that might watch over us and, and help to correct us. Because sometimes at that part where I was saying that we can correct ourselves by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can do anything, yes. But you know what? More often than not, that's not how correction comes. Do children correct, self-correct themselves in their own behavior? If they're running around and uh, they're we're told to go to bed and they're not going to bed and then they're playing and they're playing with their siblings and their kids. Um, I got three kids at home, so I might be speaking from experience here. Where they're supposed to be going to bed and they're instead still up. They're talking, they're, they're playing games, they're wrestling in the hallway uh, when they're supposed to be going to bed or getting ready for bed, whatever the uh, instruction came from uh, parents at the time. How often do those children self-correct themselves that suddenly they're like, oh, you know what? We shouldn't be doing this, guys. We were told that we need to go to bed, so we're going to go to bed. No, that doesn't happen. Children don't learn that very quickly, and they don't self-correct in, in, in that way. And sometimes the parents have to remind them again. Maybe sometimes there's just one of the siblings that says, guys, Keep it down, or, you know, or, or you know, it's like, Mom told us to go to bed. We need to go to bed. I don't want to get in trouble, and you guys shouldn't get in trouble. And so somebody helps to correct the situation before Mom and Dad even have to correct them. That's wonderful when that happens. You know, proud Mommy-Daddy moment when you see a child that remembers what you commanded them to do and then actually follows and obeys and encourages others to follow and obey. That's exactly what God sees when He sees His people. He sees his people that we're all wrestling in the hallway, doing all kinds of things. Maybe he told us to act a certain way or to do a certain thing or to help the poor minister to the people and do these things, but sometimes we get caught up in our own lives. We're having our own fun, and and and, and we're, more often than not, we can't self-correct ourselves. Now, hopefully... A booming voice doesn't have to thunder down from the heavens of our Heavenly Father and say, I told you to keep these commandments. And then suddenly then we're, we're scared, we're frightened, we hear the word of the Lord again. And that's the kind of judgment and correction that, I don't know if we'd really want to hear that. It'd be great to hear the voice of the Lord, but not when the Lord is angry. And most kids, they, don't, they want to avoid hearing the parents have to say that again too. Or at least they don't know it, but they, they want to avoid it. If those among us can self-correct or encourage others to self-correct and say, Guys, the Bible said this. The commandments of the law told us that we need to act this way and not be among the sinners and the extortioners and act like all the other people of the world do. We need to correct that behavior. We need to do that before judgment comes at the final end of the age. We need to get our hearts right. What I'm describing here is pretty much uh, generally the, the, the act of ministry that everyone who works and serves the Lord should do. And should, this should be the act that we fulfill. Where we encourage one another and we strengthen one another in the most holy faith. And that we are telling people to correct their behavior and correct their actions so that they don't be judged by the Lord. And that's not that we're giving this sort of fear-mongering message to where it's all like, you know, it's like, well, well judgment is going to come upon you until you, you correct these things. And there's a way to approach the subject to where we are not uh, uh, fear-mongering in the hearts of our brethren to say, well, the only reason why you believe in God and follow his commandments is because you don't want to go to hell. That, yes, that is the punishment that might come, even though the biblical definition of hell and heaven is certainly one of, uh, to debate. Um, However, we don't want people believing just because they don't want to go to hell. We want them believing because it's what's right to be in covenant with the creator of heaven and earth and to obey with their whole heart for the positive to follow the commandments of God because they love Him, not because they hate the devil. That's the thing that we should always be doing. We should always be motivated to do something because we love the Lord and not because of anything else. Husbands don't marry their wife because they hated their ex-wife so much. No, you marry them because you love them, not because of what you don't believe in. That's how we need to define ourselves. That's how we need to judge ourselves, and that's how we move forward in doing what's right and righteous in the following of the commandments of God. We must learn to judge amongst ourselves so that we don't get caught up in the judgment of the world. One of the other passages in our Torah portion for this week um, it has to do with the, ver- the exact prophecy by which uh, that the Lord will raise up a prophet, this is from the words of Moses, that the Lord will raise up a prophet like unto Moses, a prophet who will speak the word of God and who will forgive our sins. Now, this is obviously a greater prophecy that has to do with the Messiah, so if you turn with me now to Acts chapter 3, this is where uh, we are preaching here in the uh, portico of Solomon that by the uh, disciples here, and they are speaking exactly to this and preaching about the Messiah. I want to read this passage here so that we might be encouraged and strengthened, the Messiah himself, who is the, um, the pinnacle of our faith. When we're talking about what we believe and what we follow here in this ministry and the other ministries that we co-labor with, we like to talk a lot about what is a salvation issue. Ultimately, that when we, we can debate about and judge amongst ourselves what's the commandment here, how do we do this, how do we do it right. One person sees it one way, one person sees it another way, and ultimately we're just trying to live with one another and work amongst one another so that we might be able to... Um, live uprightly before the Lord, following His commandments, and live in a righteous society. Uh, We can debate these things all, all we want. The main thing we want to make sure we never lose is the Messiah, Yeshua, being our Lord and Savior, that that is the pinnacle of our faith that we must not lose. And so we have to identify, so when we study Torah, we look to the Messiah. We look to the Messiah being the fulfillment of these prophecies. And we look to Yeshua of Nazareth being our Savior. And so, and this is all, what it was all about in the first century, about winning people over to following and having a testimony of believing in Christ and in Him crucified. So let's uh, read here. Now, uh, let's begin at verse 13 uh, here where uh, this is being preached for us. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Yeshua, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate. When he was determined to let, go, let him go, but you denied the Holy One and the just and a- added and asked for a murder, murderer to be granted to you, and killed the prince of life, whom God raised from the dead, and which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, yes, by the faith which comes through him, has given him this perfect sound, soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in, that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers, But those things which God foretold by the mouth of His prophets, that the Christ would suffer, He has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may say, Yeshua, Messiah, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, him, you shall hear in all things whatever he says to you, and it shall be that every soul who will, hear, who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow as many as have spoken have also foretold these things. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed." to you first god having raised up his servant yeshua sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities this is this the beautiful preaching of uh, to to convict the people who would might hear these words that you might believe in yeshua that he is the one who died for our sins and that we might uh, be turned away from our iniquities see that's the whole point of this judgment that is coming, of the words of the prophets. Moses being a prophet, raising up a prophet like unto Moses, who would come and would say and would teach us to correct our behavior. This is what the entire gospel message is about. From the very beginning, it is so that through the gospel, according and through Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is the good news. It doesn't matter who you are that if you follow and believe in his, in his seed, all the families of the earth might be blessed. And guess who is in the seed of Abraham? Yeshua, our Messiah. He is the one who came to teach us to turn away from our iniquities. That's what judgment is supposed to do. That's what judges are supposed to do. That's what punishment is supposed to do. That when you do something wrong and you find yourself amongst a judge... And you are sitting there and you have to repent for the sin that you have made, that you have committed. Or you're being asked to make restitution for whatever you may have done for one person or another. What you're being, what at its very heart, what they are trying to make you do is to turn away from doing wrong. Turn away from your iniquities. If you make restitution, if you make that payment, it's to teach you so that you don't do it again. That's where the whole Gospel message for us to turn away from our sins, our iniquities, from doing whatever we think is right in our own eyes and instead follow the commandments of Moses. Raise up a prophet like unto Moses. Well, what did Moses teach us? Moses taught us the word of God, the commandments that were given to us from Mount Sinai. What did Yeshua teach? He taught the commandments that came through Moses. Matthew 5, 6, 7, all of them. It's a giant Torah teaching of commandments. And he came teaching the word and the law of Moses. He was the law giver. What did the people say after he got done teaching on the the Sermon on the Mount? The testimony of the people were that he taught with this authority. He taught these words and these commandments with such authority. The root word of authority is author. As if Yeshua was the author of the commandments. Guess what he was? Yeshua was the lawgiver. Yeshua was the one that gave the commandments from Mount Sinai for us to follow. Those commandments for us to follow so that we do not walk in iniquity, but walk uprightly before the Lord so that we aren't judged and cursed by our actions, but instead are blessed and given life by committing our lives to walk according to the commandments of God. That's the good news. That's the message. It's the same message in the Old Testament from the prophet Moses. It's the same message from Yeshua teaching us, convicting us. It's the same message as the apostles in the first century. And it's the same message of those that minister to the people today so that we might correct the behavior of the body of Messiah so that we can walk and stand uprightly at the day of judgment before the Lord and not be caught up in the judgment of the world. That is how we judge amongst ourselves. That is how we are strengthened and how we are encouraged to follow the word of the Lord. It is not a sin to submit yourself to some other authority or or, or to a judge. In fact, what it immediately shows and teaches anyone around you is that you are humble and willing to submit. You're willing to submit to accountability. And that when something is established and that, you know, whatever comes, whatever the judgment is, I submit to that because it's in line with the Torah and the commandments and how it's, it's, it's meant to be. <clears throat> if you stand up and say, I don't want to f- submit myself to that authority. I don't want to fall and, and, and be judged by this judge or this other person. Then you start using logical fallacies to say, well, who is this person here? And you do an ad hominem attack on that judge and tell them what's wrong with them. And you're just sitting there and it's like, clearly you have become the, the, the lawgiver and not the doer of the law, not the follower of the law. You're basically making the law and saying, well, that's not a judge, even though they were appointed according to the Torah. Well, let us be the ones that humbly submit to the authority and to one another. Submit to one another. Submit to your fellow brethren and let them speak life into you and encourage you to correct your behavior when you're in need of it. And let us judge amongst ourselves. Let us correct our behavior so that we are ones who stand humbly before the Lord to follow His Word and His instruction and His commandments and to not be the makers of the law, but the followers and doers of the law. That is what the Lord wants us to do. And that is the message for the Torah portion this week. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time and this instruction. We thank you for uh, your commandments. Father, I pray that you would strengthen us in our hearts and our minds, that you would cause humility to abound in us, Lord, to submit to one another in the following of your word and your commandments, Lord. I pray that you would raise up among us and in every congregation righteous men, Lord, who are humble and who are peaceable and who are peacemakers, Lord, that will judge righteously and accordingly in any manner or circumstance that, that we might find ourselves in. Father, I pray that You would, um, Father, cause those men to rise up, cause uh, humble hearts to submit, and Father, cause us within the body to correct our behavior amongst ourselves. Father, we know that judgment is coming upon the world, and Father, we know that there will be a great number of people that turn to You at the time and the day of judgment, Lord, out of fear and awe of You. Father, I pray that we would hold ourselves to a higher standard, to a righteous order by which that we will follow you and your commandments without needing to be chastened by you, without needing to be judged or reprimanded, Lord, by by your time of judgment, but that we would cause our hearts to stir and to know when we've done wrong and correct that behavior. Make restitution, Lord, to one another and so that we can be that people, Lord, that stand and are can be the ones out of our abundance encourage others to do what is right. May we be followers and doers of your law, Lord, in your commandments, and may we encourage all other brethren to follow those same commandments, so that they too may not be caught up in the time of judgment. We love you, bless you, and thank you on this Sabbath day. We thank you for all of these blessings. It's in your Son Yeshua that we pray. Amen. Shabbat shalom.
0: Adonai do na Adonai vai shmarekha ya L'cha shalom
1: Bashim yeshua mashiach sarcha shalom shalom may the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you may the lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in the name of yeshua the messiah the prince of peace shalom